description of this episode so uh, my name is teresa and who all who are all my com- comrades here today vanakam nufail hi this is chaya hey this is nangeli ko cool. hi everyone um so today we wanted to discuss and pro- process a little bit about the two pro- uh, protests that we organized in the in the earlier part of the month uh, that took place a couple of weeks ago uh, one was um, counter protest or massive counter protest that uh, a lot of other groups also joined uh, in protesting um, in this event in times square the sanghi event in times square and the other was a, a more low key event a candlelight vigil that we did in jackson heights uh, that was meant to hold space for those harmed by hindu and indian nationalism and um, that one was held on the independence day of india which was august 15th um, so uh, First, I'd like to start off with the August fifth uh, event. Um, Chaya, can you tell us a bit about the background to the Babri Masjid demolition and what was happening in Times Square um, that evoked such a reaction? Yeah, and I first um, want to note that there's actually three, at least three things being linked in terms of Times Square. Well, first, let's say I'll just say what was exactly happening in Times Square as we got word. that um, a group called the American Indian Public Affairs Committee, um, which is one of the diasporic counterparts of, the, it's one of those organizations in diaspora that sort of is affiliated with the um, Sangh organizations inside India and is one of their international faces, announced that they were going to be broadcasting over the giant billboards in Times Square, um, images of, 3D images of the new Ram temple that they're going to be constructing and the foundation stone laying of this grand temple building celebration by Narendra Modi. And why is this a big deal? Um, there's actually three events being um, linked here, which on the face of it seem like what do these have to do with each other? So first thing being, of course, this laying of this, this construction of this temple, this Ram mm-hmm. temple. And then the date, um, August 5th, is, is not a coincidence. This is the one-year anniversary of the reinvasion and, um, of Kashmir last year, um, this very violent military occupation, revocation of Kashmir's autonomy, mm-hmm. and the proximity of um, Indian Independence Day. And so why these three things have to do with each other is that these are three key components of the Hindu nationalist agenda, and these are big pieces of, of their agenda, which they've aspired to for a very long time, um, but have only in the last few years after Modi's uh, coming to power have been able to really aggressively pursue these things. And so there's the background of like, what's the Ram Temple? What's the Babri Masjid? This is, this is harking back to the destruction of um, the Masjid in 1992. So the Babri Masjid is this Mughal era mosque that was constructed in the 1520s. So it's been there for hundreds of years. And um, the VHP and the BJP, this is the religious and the political wings of the um, family of organizations under the RSS, had 
for decades been um, promoting the idea that this was actually built on top of an ancient temple marking the birthplace of uh, Ram, of a deity. And there is no archaeological basis for this. It's purely a religious assertion, but this mm -hmm. has been um, an aggressive campaign that they've been running for decades to to um, build a temple in the place of the mosque. So in 1992, there was a rally of Hindu nationalists which um, transformed into a riot at which people physically um, kind of went crazy and went and like literally with their bare hands tore down this mosque. And this launched um, cycles of massive violence in, in the intervening decades and mass murder of Muslims, um, it's, it's fueled this cycle of lynchings and murders and rapes, including the Gujarat massacre of 2002, which Modi's been implicated in. But they weren't able to carry out the, the goal here, which was to construct a temple on the site of the torn down mosque until the Supreme Court finally, last year in 2019, finally awarded them um, the right to, to the land on which to build this temple. So for them, this is kind of the apotheosis of their long-held desire to like really kind of manifest the Hindu nationalist project. So it's not a coincidence that they chose August 5th to do this, to link it to the takeover of Kashmir. It's not a coincidence that that is in proximity to Independence Day. And um, they're sort of like, why would they beam this out on the massive digital billboards in Times Square? Because it's really important to them to kind of dominate the global narrative and really seek legitimacy on the world stage. They're very ambitious that way. So a big coalition of progressive diaspora South Asian groups um, really felt it was important to intervene in this kind of triumphalist Hindu supremacist narrative that they're seeking mm -hmm. to like dominate the world with. Yeah. Wow, that was such an amazing background. You like did such an amazing job of linking all of the important pieces together. Thank you so much. Um, I think like one of the things I just wanted to add is uh, like as you know, as we were promoting this event on social media and all of that, we um, uh, one of the things that surprised me was that how much like the so of course you got like a massive troll attack, but there was also just like a massive number of people who saw this as a indigenous movement or like a Hindu cultural pride assertion, um, which was um, incredibly disturbing and frankly, not something had ever been really exposed to. So it was really new to me that this was a very legitimate movement in seeming non-fascist spaces, but of course they're, they're fascist. Um, what do folks think of that? Like before we go into the Times Square protest itself, is, was that surprising for you in any way? I, this is Nangeli. I can weigh in a little bit. I mean, I think it, it is, I don't think it's so surprising when you think about what the Hindu right wing has, like how they've been channeling their narrative of Hindu supremacy, right? So they constantly are saying that, um, that, that Abrahamic faiths came as a colonial force to the region, to South Asia, they talk yeah. about, I mean, working in, I was in India recently doing medical work as a physician. And I remember hearing like Ayurvedic physicians talking about how like Western medicine is a colonial force. And they, they love using this language to further stigmatize Muslims, Christians, like any minorities um, who have been there, who, who are just as indigenous as 
fucking Hinduism, right? Like Hinduism is a, is a fake creation and they love to pull on this idea of indigeneity without acknowledging all of the cultures that mainstream Hinduism has eaten up, has silenced, has repressed, which are mainly Dalit, lower caste, religious and spiritual practices that Hinduism is completely wiped out, right? And I think um, this is a really helpful tool for them in the West because Western progressives will always side with indigenous people without, without necessarily thinking deeply about it, right? So they see yeah. images of like Kali and Shiva and they're like, oh, these must be indigenous gods. Like, like these people must know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's a really useful it's a really useful tactic for them. Um, yeah, so it makes yeah. sense when they're trying to promote this temple um, that they're, that they're pulling on this language that they're co opting the language of indigeneity. It's it's yeah. sickening. It's really sickening. Um, yeah, it wasn't a surprise to me either for that same reason that that's a tactic that they've been really cleverly using for for a long time now and. But actually, there's a, there's another like they they use the language of indigeneity because they are very um, strategic about how they present themselves to a Western media audience. Um, but actually, uh, I think a much better cognate for what they're doing is blood and soil ethno nationalism. So this is a far right fascist language which uses some similar kind of mm. concepts but applies it to this really supremacist, um, really exclusionary supremacist type of program and yeah. that's this is not new to them at all yeah and it's not a new tactic to fascism like i think i think that's a really good point jaya that you bring up that this is this is not like a new thing for fascism like across the globe right like fascists continuously use this narrative of like we are indigenous, <laughs> indigenous people we are like the pure ones like yeah it's, it's sick um, yeah I was going to say, like, along with that, another kind of uh, category of arguments uh, that I saw was that this was an example of Hindu-Muslim unity, that uh, the, the Muslim uh, kind of um, uh, body agreed to it, and it, this was a resolution that was quote, fair from the Supreme Court. So it had like constitutional, legal, and uh, like a unifying um, validation that, uh, you know, that was being interrupted by, you know, by us. So this was also like another, like a non, uh, uh, like a non-religious argument that was being made. Like, why are you doing this? This is, this is, this is a moment of unity. Um, yeah, that was also bizarre. <laughs> yeah, as an... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in India, I think for at least 10 years, 10, 15 years, as long as I can remember, I've seen RSS and every single affiliate of RSS use this as a point of unity. It mm. might be a religious event. It could be just a Ganesha celebration, but it is always centered around Ram Mandir and bringing people together under Ram Rajya. I've right. grown up hearing it, and every time I hear those, it gives me, it takes me back to growing up in India, watching people walk around with swords. Yeah. And machete. Yeah. Nufil, yeah. do you want to say a little bit about why it's not actually a, a, a point of unity? Like that, that this idea that Hindus and Muslims came together, even though 
uh, you know, there was like a Muslim body who agreed to the ruling. And even at the Times Square event in 2020, there was like a, like a Muslim presence. This is what they claimed. So why do you, do you want to say a little bit about why this is actually a pretty insane idea? Well, I think we all need to acknowledge that minorities in India, be it Muslims, Dalit or Bahujan, we have very little hope left on the judicial system. Mm-hmm. The state is against us. We cannot go to the court. We were not going to get we're not going to get justice unless it's an exceptional case. We can talk about Dr. Kafil Khan in the jail, um, Sajil, or numerous cases who've been who are still in the jail and their bail hearings are postponed continuously for no reason. Right. They have time to talk about a Bollywood actor or a Bollywood movie, but Supreme Court and High Court don't have time to talk about their bail. So as Indian, this is my opinion, as an Indian Muslim, I have no hope that going to the Supreme Court or High Court is going to get us any justice. This, where I don't agree, but some of the elders believe that this was a peace offering from the community. Mm. To say, just leave us alone. But what they're not realizing is Ayodhya project is just one of the many projects. Even at Times Square, the Hindu nationalists were not really celebrating the foundation or the construction of the temple, but rather they were only cheering that Ayodhya is the first, Kashi and Madura is going to be next. Right, right. That was the theme of the celebration. The celebration was not celebrating Ayodhya, but more to say what is going to happen next. There were banners in Times Square in the mm-hmm. middle of their prayers. They had these banners. So yeah. what Indian Muslims know is that we don't have any hope left. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get any judicial. Judiciary is not going to save us. So this is just one thing that we let go so that we can focus on other things. That's just my opinion. Right. And, you know, I just wanted to add like the piece about genocide. You know, this was uh, this this sort of the original break or the uh, demolition was uh, based uh, on like massacre of thousands of people, thousands of Muslims specifically. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, Times Square event. So so there was a lot of confusion and drama, like a couple of days and including on the day around the billboards, right? There was a lot of news that we started getting about uh, the billboards not uh, you know, projecting it, or maybe some of them are. And there was just a lot of confusing information. At some point, we thought none of them were. Um, so uh, like, Nufel, can you give us a, like a background on like the all of the billboard drama and what actually, uh, you know, ins- like conspired? Lol. I, I would love to. Just don't know where to start. Uh, maybe <laughs> let me start with maybe let me start with all the drama that started a week before. What was expected, what was marketed in India extensively is from eight AM Eastern Time to ten PM Eastern Time, almost all the billboards in at Times Square are going to display pictures of Lord Rama. There's going to be a live telecast of the Bhumi Puja that's happening in Ayodhya. This was non-stop coverage. 
the hindu nationalist went to an extent where they released photoshopped images of times square even mm. before august 5th saying that hey this is how it's going to look this is a trial run fact checking yeah. organizations have to step in and say hey at least remove your watermark when you post photoshopped yeah. images <laughs> so that was the expectation so 8 am to 10 pm all billboards and live telecast now let's look at what actually happened the billboards did not go up at 8 am all except one organization had backed out and we will get to all the efforts that went in in making that happen but on the day there was only one company which went ahead with it at 8 am as planned they could not kick off there were no ads on there i think the first ad came around somewhere after 9:30 to 10 and the ads were supposed to run in this one billboard every 15 minutes for a few seconds what happened i think somewhere around 12 or 1 maybe for 3 hours the ads did run but even the one company that went ahead with it backed out and said we cannot support nationalism or supremacy of any cost and they did formally back out i was mm-hmm. at times square since afternoon um just to see what's going on just to observe um there were a lot of not a lot there were quite a few disappointed faces who kept looking at the billboard and then um i think the organizing committee posted on their facebook page that uh, due to pressure billboard have been pulled off there would be no more screening and that's mm-hmm. when people started dispersing and this was around 4:30 i guess so that's that's what happened and we should also while we talk about what actually happened we should all, i would also like to talk about what the media coverage that it got media went berserk mm-hmm. all types right you print broadcast digital nonstop coverage of august 5th event but when the billboard was a flop show nobody followed through yeah. in fact the coverage that sasi got at prime time even so much importance was not given to follow through the story mm-hmm. and show that no, okay, right. the will goods didn't work except for few print media nobody yeah. else actually followed through the story i don't know maybe they were too embarrassed to say accept defeat yeah i don't know that that's me that's my point of view no that's actually i didn't even realize that go ahead no go ahead nangeli Oh no, I was just saying like that's that's really that's a really good point um that no one really followed up and said, "Hey, like we are actually successful in getting these motherfuckers to take down their billboards." Yeah. Uh, and I think it's it was it was pretty like the surprising part to me is that, you know, when you have so many sunkies in tech, so many sunkies in like marketing and like who are in these high power positions, that we still managed to get them to back down and and I don't think it came from a place of like understanding exactly what hindu fascism is or what was actually going on but I think it was just fear that they were getting these messages these phone calls from so many different groups saying mm-hmm. hey this is a fucking hateful message like take this shit down um yeah 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 and i i know this is this might uh, seem like a stretch but i feel like there has been such a 
like a re-emergence re of corporations wanting to have a politically correct face like that is um, i think that's always been true but in 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 this in with the black liberation uprising in recent months it has become especially um, odious to to like align yourself with any kind of supremacy i maybe i'm being way too hopeful but i felt like that helped turn the events also of these massive corporations suddenly being oh this is something bad okay i don't want to be associated with that I don't know, like maybe that's just too hopeful. But I also felt like that drove, helped drive the engine a little bit. Yeah, I so, mean, they're all worried about their bottom line right now. Like we just, we're, we're living through a pandemic. They're, they're realizing how their, their social image or their progressive image can really impact them. And um, yeah, like it's going to affect their bottom line. I don't, I don't think we should get duped into thinking there are allies or anything but like yeah 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 like it's about yeah they need to protect their wealth so yeah absolutely and i think what is remarkable like i also wanted to go back to nufail's point like i think what was remarkable is that um that the coverage uh, particularly like the mainstream coverage in the us was pretty negligible except in kind of niche uh, south asian outlets uh, but the coverage in india was incredibly different right it was uh, it was it was constructed in such a way that it was very uh, it, like th there was just like this uh, very false narrative being told to in like the mainstream uh, india and what was uh, actually happening was not even covered they didn't even really talk about that so that's actually it like it has this it it's adding on to kind of the fascist nature of how information is uh, spread in india as well um okay so do, do we want to talk about the protest itself uh, how how was it for people like being there it was overwhelming for me to start yeah. with in one word there was so much chaos yeah. But at the same time, it was a moment of solidarity. It, what I noticed there, what I observed there was a lot of different groups came together. It was not just Sasi. It was not just anti-fascist groups. Progressive Hindu groups were there. A lot of representation. I, I, it was, I think the Times Square protest to me in one sentence showed what India is or Indian diaspora is the true diaspora, which is people from all culture, region, state came together and said, no, we're not going to let this happen where we live. That's, yeah. all, that's the takeaway, key takeaway for me from the protest. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks who, um, who might not have been there, like I just want to quickly describe like what the protest, how many people and all of that. Uh, so Times Square is uh, like a really chaotic and intense place for many people with all of those lights and all the, those billboards. For me, it's always been really over, overwhelming space that I try to avoid <laughs> as much as possible. Um, but, <laughs> but there is in that center a sort of a mini stadium and in that center was where the Hindu nationalists had 
a kind of a ceremony, all right? So they didn't get to celebrate with the billboards. By then, the billboards had stopped, uh, just like Nufail said, had stopped the images, uh, if they even had it. And so they had no images, but they still had kind of a rally, a, a, like a ceremony that was really loud. And they had, how many people would you say? Like a like a, like a hundred people, um, I would say, uh, I would guess, or like around there. And they had like uh, uh, vendors like Rajbog, uh, which is a vendor in New Jersey and New York City that served sweets. Uh, and so they were in full regalia, full dressed and like shouting Jai Shri Ram and they were in the, in the center, there was 100 people. And around that stadium, there were many different groups that Nufail just described, right? Uh, there were uh, like the, the, the folks, um, from many different organizations that are organized and including a kind of, uh, like with Sasi, Sanu Kashmir came along and uh, uh, we also had like a free Kashmir sort of contingent. Uh, and our side was around 100 people, like was around 100, 150, maybe more. Right. So it was, I would say, around even and it was all like kind of spread around this center stage where all of the Sanghis were. Would that be an accurate description? Honestly, I think there were more um, okay. on their side. Or maybe it's just the optics. I think we were spread across. It was like we surrounded them. Yeah. Right? We, were, we were spread thin because we surrounded them. They were our uh, Sikh brothers on one side. Uh, we were on the other side. Yeah, we that would have been why it seemed like we were spread thin, because we were literally surrounding them on all sides. We were in Facebook. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my impression of the event was um, a little bit less harmonious than um, than 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 the failures. I mean, I, I, I actually like, I don't know if it is the energy of Times Square, which I always feel as, as too much and overwhelming, or if it was like just the, the chaos of the moment. But the minute I, we marched down, uh, you know, we marched down Broadway and in front of all of these people, I immediately just found myself feeling really uh, like disassociated almost. Like I couldn't like, like focus. I was so like, I just wanted it to be over. Like I felt so, so overwhelmed by all the shouting and all the noise. And it wasn't just the protest. It was like all of the ways in which there seemed to be so many different groups that was not, I didn't feel was necessarily in harmony with each other. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, so the, so the procession led and I think one of the things that, um, that felt disharmonious to us is that not, not only were we trying to outshout the Hindu nationalist, but we were trying to outshout other factions of the progressive side also. Right. So our, we really wanted to center, of course, like Kashmir and Kashmir occupation, which clearly other groups were not as comfortable shouting. Right. So we had this. Uh, so we were trying to outshout uh, Indian nationalist slogans, uh, Khalistani slogans, and then also like free Kashmir slogans. So there was like this cacophony of like multiple slogans while they seem to have like a uniformity of messaging, uh, which felt really disorienting and uh, not great, at least for me. That was my impression. Um, yeah, Teresa, I think you, you bring up a really good point. Um, I think to me, it kind of highlighted how the bottom line 
is that we all hate the BJP and RSS and like Hindu national Hindu fascism. Yeah, Hindu nationalism, Hindu fascism. But when it came to like who's going to stand with Kashmir, like who's going to uplift the 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 Azadi message, um, and like uplift the like the struggles of Kashmiris, it's like a very small subgroup. Yeah, um, and like there are points of of like unity of solidarity within so like with like the Sikh um coalition you know like a lot of them will uh raise calls for free Kashmir but then you know they have other they have other politics as well that they're trying to push um Mm -hmm. also it was also frustrating for me to see the patriotism the Indian patriotism among these uh so-called progressives because you know even if they even if they don't believe in Hindu fascism they still believe in like the the Indian colonial project yeah um, so that was that's really scary and you know for like it was very chaotic like for me it felt like i was walking into the emergency room like it was fucking crazy there's so many different so many different groups shouting for different things um i think it's it was nice that we had some unity in saying like fuck this um like this ram mandir nonsense um, yeah but it was it's just it just highlights you know the the chaos of of the diaspora like Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I felt like we couldn't even, even, even with, um, like, I felt like our signs were definitely more spicy. (laughs) Like, I felt like, like the spiciest (laughs) signs there, Uh, which you know, like, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think people were unwilling to really, um, you know, talk about temples or like why temples can also be fascist spaces, Uh, but instead, really wanted to focus on like Indian democracy, constitution, secularism, and all of these, and just like you said, Indian colonial state, these seem to be more neutral and better messaging than just kind of just pointedly saying that we are against a Brahminical colonial state period, and that we uh, do not aspire to be nationalist, that it's, and that we are against an occupation, that I, there was very little of that that we saw, that I saw, and not, like, not counting our contingency, right, the people who did think that, the, uh, the, the other folks were, did want deferring notions of what this Indian nationalism looks like, uh, and that was, um, that was really, uh, difficult, uh, at least for me to kind of, uh, kind of witness. Like it was like, oh my God, there is, there is so much, um, there's so much of this. Like you know, like the Modi is harming the Indian democracy, and Modi is harming the Indian constitution, which he no doubt is. Uh, but the Indian state is, uh, is a violent state in its own right, beyond and above Modi. Um, uh, that Modi kind of concentrate is concentrated on so while there was unity against what we were against what we were fighting for was actually very different at least that's how i I felt about it Mm -hmm. yeah kind of like a good way to um move into talking about the august 15th as well yeah the 15th event because that's really very much about well what is Independence Day mean? And to me, um, you touched on that in what you said. The way I think about it is like, well, does Independence Day mean a nationalist project or a liberation project? Because those are really two different, very, very different things. If liberation means a decolonial project or an emancipatory project, and nationalism means something very different to me, like national, national independence was a handover of power 
of the governmental infrastructure, of military and policing structures, of extractive mechanisms, of security apparatus, all of this handed over from the colonial state to the national state, which carried on that work against marginalized, disenfranchised, recolonized communities in many cases. And a liberation project, and this was brought up at the vigil that we held, um, if what we want to celebrate is liberation, then liberation for whom? Um, yep. did, who did not achieve liberation in 1947, if we're commemorating this moment, how could we recommit to that aspiration towards um, true liberation, emancipation, decolonization? What does that look like right now in 2020? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with so much of what you're saying, Chaya. Like, I think that's so perfect, you know. And I personally saw that even in terms of uh, independence, there several groups across the U.S. kind of mobilized um, around it. But there was a very careful way in which uh, many groups wanted to still uphold, uh, you know, Indian independence and Indi India uh, as this um, uh, notion that we must fight for. While, uh, you know, for for Sasi, that was like not really the point. Um, you know, whether we are fighting for India or not, we are actually fighting uh, for uh, like a, a fighting against an imperial state. At least that was my. Um, uh, stake in the in the protest and the movement, right? That that we completely recognized that India is an imperial state that is colonizing uh, land and people, um, and that we cannot celebrate the, the liberation that that has has meaning that has no meaning, just like what you were saying. Um, so um, so what was the Jackson Heights event like? So. Yeah, the August 15th event, um, I honestly, like, after uh, we, we, we entered into this, um, this idea of this event in Diversity Square in Jackson Heights, like, we, we began to think about it right after this crazy protest in Times Square, um, and we knew that Jackson Heights, it would be a much, like, it would be a more receptive community to hearing what we had to say about Kashmir. Um, it's not like fucking Manhattan. We're not surrounded by just like capitalism. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the community. Yeah. It's, like, it's a very like, like working class Muslim community. And it was interesting to see because we did have a lot of support. Um, mm -hmm. And it felt, it felt wholesome in a lot of ways. Like folks were really open to talking about things. A lot of people, like, they just like, there was a huge range of understanding about what was happening in Kashmir what the Indian government is up to right now. Yeah. There were some uh, fucking like Hindu nationalist motherfuckers out there and like, you know, which goes to show how deeply embedded uh, Hindu fascism is like throughout the diaspora. Um, yeah. Yeah, I def definitely agree. It was a different kind of event. It was more, you know, we had our, uh, like a visual imagery laid out and it wasn't as policed, which also made a huge difference. I think that one of the things that uh, that was an important element of the Times Square e e event was the police presence, right? The police were circled around the Sanghis and they were basically protecting them. Uh, and so, but in the in Jackson Heights, I, I didn't see any cops. So there was a lot more like, 
free like a freeing of space to talk to people and have like a real engagement hand out flyers and have discussion mini discussions all over so that will really wonderful and really um, really energizing in a way that the times square event really wasn't um yeah for sure for me the jackson heights event was a moment of healing mm. and connecting the community yeah it's 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 india india it's india's day of independence but freedom does not mean the same thing to every single indian yeah definitely not the same for indian muslims so for me it was an even it was a moment of healing connecting with the community sitting down to reflect on what's going on yeah. and the fact that we're not alone yeah right that's that's yeah. that's how i felt walking away from jackson heights yeah that's wonderful i mean i think like you know when i was i grew up in in india i mean growing up like independence day was while it was nationalist we were celebrating a kind of indian culture um i feel like today i mean i was also a kid so whatever i didn't really have uh, any kind of i had like kid politics you know but like what um you know i feel like that was a moment like in the 80s in bombay celebrating it and 2020 is a very different moment about who is celebrating it and what that means to them so if you are someone who is uh you know who is celebrating indian india day without any uh kind of introspection about that um like what does that say about who you are as a person like i don't know i don't know what that speaks like what are you celebrating what are we celebrating in this moment when india is like on such a hard and clear route to fascism uh and everything that that we know in a very different way today about kashmir than we did even 5 years ago uh much less 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago you know that those were that information was very uh like unknown for so many people but today you can can you have that same uh uh innocence can you claim that same innocence that indians could five years ago like i don't think you can right in 2020 you cannot claim innocence about the kash like occupation in kashmir um so i think that so what does that mean when when you're celebrating this you know this day um and that was like some of the things that i thought about when i saw so many you know yay yay india day that's no longer a neutral thing to say ever it was never neutral but i think um i feel like today it's even less neutral yeah yeah i definitely agree um i think you know it, it's it's fucking 2020 like we can't like the, the narratives coming out of kashmir um are just so much more poignant and i i do think like even even when i was a teenager i think i was like 13 14 and i had a friend who is a punjabi sikh and i remember her saying like there was some like india day festival happening nearby and i remember her saying like you know like like 47 was like 47 48 like that's when my family like became refugees right like that's when the revolution happened like I, there's nothing to celebrate here like yeah independence pakistani independence like you know it was never like 
it was never free of bloodshed and it was never free of suffering. Like, and the entire independence movement is a very complicated thing, right? Like there are elements of Hindu nationalism, like dating back to that movement. Um, and I think, um, I think it isn't, it has never been really like, it's, it's never been a, a beautiful celebration for a lot of people, but now yeah. more so like now, like even, those families, like, like my family's Malayali, we were not really affected by partition like that, like, right, like, I didn't grow up with stories about partition, Um, Mm -hmm. but even my parents are starting to, like, think about things, like, as I, as they, as they hear what I'm telling them about Kashmir, about, like, you know, like, interrogating what happened during Indian independence, um, like, back in 47, it's, it's really, yeah, it's it's really crazy to think that people are still so invested in this like Indian nationals project. Yeah, I can be totally nerdy for a second too, just to mark how part of the vigil, which I thought um, I agree with what Nufail said too. I thought it was really actually a very beautiful evening. Um, but the song that was sung and played, Hamdekenge, that comes from a poem by Fez Ahmed Fez, and has become um, really prevalent in all the the protests in India against the CAA in this past year, um, against this um, Hindu nationalist program, and it's a it's a people's liberation poem basically. Um, and it's really been taken up in this past year, and I love singing it and I love hearing it. Um, but I just was thinking, it just struck me that another of his really famous poems was written in 1947, um, basically mourning this, the dawn, you know, the independence was always like, oh, this is the dawn of freedom. And he's like, this dawn is bloody. This is not the morning of beauty. Like, it was grief. It was like, we're not there yet. We have not reached that dream yet. Like, we got to keep going. This was not it yet. Yeah. yeah. We could have read that one, too. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's so intense. That's so much. I mean, I think people, uh, people forget that so much bloodshed and genocide and death and suffering happen. People forget. And people have this very reductive military strategizing uh, notion of what that was. Like, we won. Like, it's, you know, it's like some winning, like, there's no victory in war. Like, there's no victory in any of this. Uh, there's no victory in laying down boundaries or and uh, occupying uh, or occupying land. Like, there's no victory anywhere. Uh, but we do have like this, like, like the notion of victory is so tied um, to, to, na- to, the, to the birth of a nation, you know, and it's gross. Uh, I think we need to like stop that, <laughs> like, basically. <laughs> that isn't something that is anything to celebrate. Um, anything else that folks want to add about the protests and any, any general thoughts that you had about the stuff that we were engaged in this month? No, just a shout out to all our comrades from other organizations, be it climate justice groups, be it community justice, social justice groups who are not from Indian or South Asian diaspora, but still mm-hmm. honored or called, stood by us shoulder to shoulder and stay yeah. till the end. A big shout out and thank you for them because at the end of the day, we are all fighting common forces. We are fighting against capitalism fascism, imperialism. If we don't join hands, it's going to be a very long fight for us.
Yeah. Word. Yeah, just how just these fucking Hindu fascists have the police and they call on the police to crack down at us at the protest. Like, we, we got our fucking homies and it was beautiful to see so many, like, people stand with us. Like, folks from Philippines, from Hong Kong, like, you know, all these solidarity movements. Like, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. All right. Um, that's, I think, a really good note to end on. Oh, my God.